so today as we're looking uh, in the book of First Corinthians, as we're studying through uh, the book of First Corinthians, uh, did anybody read any of First Corinthians this week? I want to show of hands. Anybody read any First Corinthians? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, six. Six people read First Corinthians. So I encourage you to do that because as we study through this, if all you're going to get out of it is the hour of lesson that I'm going to give you on Sunday morning, you're not going to get as much as you would if you would read. So please go and read this one chapter, one book in the, in the Bible, not chapter, a book of 16 chapters. And it's not that much to read. It's not asking that much of you. You've been blessed with a good life that God's given you the ability to be able to read. So we should read his word to make it apply to our life. So in this uh, series today, I want us to look at, as this is week two, that, uh, that 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at uh, the end of that chapter. So let's, if you'll put up on the screen, 1 Corinthians uh, 26 through 31. Let's stand as we read this. This is New Living's translation. So remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So God has united you in Christ Jesus for our benefit. God has made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He freed us from sin. Therefore, as scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we ask that you would just uh, cause us to see in reflection, God, some of the things that we complain about, some of the things that we consider as troublesome in our lives. Lord, in comparison, that they, they pale in comparison to the rest of the world. And God, I pray today, Lord, that as Abby is over there in that foreign soil, and Lord, we're taking up these items, Lord, that it won't just be casually that we do that thing, but Lord, that we do it wholeheartedly, and we give, Lord, to just uh, send to her as she has went and sacrificed her life, Lord, for the further of your gospel. God, I pray today that you would lay it on our hearts in this room today, Lord, that your son Jesus and and, the, and the, the salvation that he's given us, Lord, that though it seems foolish to other people, that other people count us as fools for believing in you. God, I pray that somehow, some way, you would use our lives to show that that foolishness counts in eternity. And God, that you would change our community. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. amen. You can be seated. It's a humbling experience to recognize our new life in Christ came about only because of God and not because of anything we did. It's a humbling thing to think about that God saved us when we didn't deserve it. You see, because if we have pride in our life, we look to God and we point and say that it's because of what I did got me my salvation. It was because I was good enough or because I, I considered the thought and waited out and, and made that decision that it's something I did that saved me. When in truth, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's not one person that's ever received salvation or has been born again according to what Jesus taught Nicodemus. We can't be born again unless God does the saving. If God doesn't save you, you're not saved. It's as simple as that. So as Paul was writing back to this Corinthian church, he was dealing with issues in that church that because some people thought because of their wealth that they deserved salvation because they were powerful in, in financial realm. They felt like they deserved it because they were better than the rest of society. 
And all too often I believe that this could even happen not only in, in uh, the Corinthian church, but this could happen in our church. That people with more financial ability feels like that they are privileged, that the church ought to look up to them because they can pay the bills. I will never bow to financial security. You can't buy salvation. You can't buy the church. Bethesda is not for sale. Amen? We owe $60,000 on the building at Kentucky Heights that we financed to, to purchase that building to extend the gospel into the Kentucky Heights and Quincy and, and South Shore area. There's people driving there from South Portsmouth to come to church that will not drive to here. There's people that's been saved this past year and several of them have been baptized and, and they've received salvation because we financially support that building to create an environment where they can come and see Jesus. Amen. Because of Vanceburg. And we tell the people at Kentucky Heights quite often that Kentucky Heights would not be here if it were not for Vanceburg. It takes this campus to furnish and make that possible. And they, they thank you. They're out of their heart, I can tell you, the ones that I've sat down at my table with and ate dinners and talked to, they appreciate the Vanceburg campus and the people here that gave so they could receive. They're grateful for you guys. They truly are. But I can tell you this, as pastor, that if somebody came to me and said, okay, I've got $60,000 extra and I would like to go ahead and pay off Kentucky Heights campus, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? That'd be really awesome. But if they said, here's the only stipulation, you've got to put me on the board. It happened before. Not for Bethesda. <laughs> Never saw that yet. But if it did happen and were to happen, you know what I would say? Absolutely not. Bethesda's not for sale. What God does here, God does. God gets the glory. It's a bunch of poor people that has assembled together and gives weekly and monthly and financially has contributed to the offering plate so we can do what we do and we do it collectively. We don't need a one-man band. Amen. I'm glad. I'm glad that Bethesda is, is a community of believers. It's not one family of believers. It's not just one group of people or not one uh, part of society or financial group. It's all of us together collectively doing something for the kingdom of God. I thank God for that. I know churches where that I've saw it happen where that the powerful families are the families with money and they have the power of the church because they have money. Won't happen here. I don't care how much you got, you can't buy it. It's not for sale. Look at your neighbor and say, my church ain't for sale. <laughs> Amen. It's not for sale. I was at a church one time, and some wealthy people said, we're not going to give anymore because we don't like what you're doing. We're not going to give anymore because we don't like what you're doing. Is that manipulation? I think it's manipulation at its finest point. And I think if you tell God what I tithe or what I give, it's not yours, God, unless I like what you're doing. That's a bad way to do it. I think you can go read Malachi and read about that kind of giving. It's where it says that God, they was actually tithing in Malachi. People use that verse all the time in Malachi 3 to talk about the people ought to tithe. But actually they were tithing, but they were doing it with the wrong expression. They were doing it because they thought it was their power to give that, and it, it, was, it was about what they was doing. But it isn't yours anyway. A tithe is God's. I wish I had a church with me today. I said the tithe is God's. It's not yours to decide, is this mine or is it not mine? The Bible says that a tenth, amen, belongs to the Lord. And in the Old Testament, you had to give your firstborn. 
Amen. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I don't, I don't talk about tithing a lot. I'm just telling you it's a principle and about financial things. The tithe belongs to the Lord. But there's people that's told me, actually before, I'm not tithing anymore because I don't like what you're doing. You know what I'll say? I'm not for sale. You're not going to manipulate me and tell me what I can or cannot preach or what kind of outre outreaches we can do or what type of people we can go try to reach because maybe they don't smell like you, maybe they don't bathe as much as you, maybe they're not as blessed as you. And if you're going to try to hold back your tithe to prevent the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then so be it unto you because you're going to answer to God someday. I have to answer to God for what comes from this pulpit. And I'm not going to be manipulated according to somebody else's wallet. as simple as that I don't like talking about money at church because everybody considers when you talk about money at church that it's, it's all God's anyway everything is God's the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof now, you, you are a steward. I'll agree that you are a steward. Then sometimes Jesus and God gives more power to some individuals and lets them steward over more things. We know that from when we read the Gospels, that there is people that receives more. One guy Jesus talked about in one story, uh, God gave him ten, the other one five, and the other one. And he come back, the master came back, and, and what would you do with the ten, what would you do with the five, and what would you do with the one? Amen? So what you have is what God has given you to steward. I'm going to move on so that I get away from this topic. But I'm telling you, everything you own is God's anyway. And if he wanted to in an instant, he could take you down to not even having any clothes. Because he owns it all. And anybody that thinks that there's pride in our life, that I've got what I've got because of stuff, I, and I do work. I, I agree, I go to work, and I work for my money, and I try hard. Somebody say amen to that. Work for my money. I invest some, my time so that people will pay me money. But if it wasn't for God, there wouldn't be no money for me to get. It's as simple as that. So as I say this, I'm saying this because in the Corinthian church, there was manipulation about money. I'm not preaching about money. It's what the Bible says. It's what it says in Corinthians. That's what Paul was writing to. You rich people over there trying to control the church, you're wrong. Look at your neighbor and say, how rich are you? <laughs> Is he talking to you? Maybe he's talking to you. He's not talking to me. I'm not real rich. Maybe I don't know. Who's, who's he talking to? I don't know. Apparently there's somebody rich there. So as, as, as Paul was writing to the church, he was dealing with some um, issues going on in the church and he's trying to tell the church that there's a better way to function as a body of Christ as a body of believers there's a better way to be to exist so as Paul is preaching to them and teaching them it don't matter who you are and then, it, then it, I love it the part that we read about in the, in the last of the chapter 1 there that, that talks about that, that what we received it's absolutely Saul's foolishness you see it whenever you go out in the world and try to witness about God changing your life. Amen? Or you talk about that Jesus is alive in me. He's doing things on the inside of me. And it, it feels like I'm a new man when I get born again. And it feels like I'm a whole new person. And you go try to explain that to the world. They'll look at you like you're crazy. And if you've ever witnessed, you'll see this. They'll look at you like, I think they fell off the rocker. It's foolishness to the world. And that's what Paul says. It's foolishness to the world when we preach about a God from heaven sending his son, born through a virgin, dying on a cross, and, and in the ground three days, dead, and raises again. It sounds like foolishness. To the carnal mind, it really does. To the worldly, earthly mind, it's absolutely sounding like foolishness. But it's through the foolishness of preaching. The Bible says it confounds the wise. It confounds them. They, they don't understand it. They can't, they can't process that. You see, it's one thing to have science or, or, or where we study science in school because that's based off of fact, right? Science, it means, the word means knowledge. 
So if you have science, it's something that somebody has done over and over and over again with a historical perspective and saying, absolutely, if you do this, this will happen. That's science. Science is truth. There is no science to God. There is no science to your religion. It won't make sense. And sometimes we've been Christian for so long that we try to make it make sense, and then whenever we get to thinking about it again, we will re-question it again. Has anybody ever done that besides me? After I've got saved... I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe there's a God in heaven. I believe that he died for my sins, that I was washed clean by his blood, that, that he has atoned me, he's, he's, my, he's resurrected my life, that I can live today. But there's moments in my life when I look around and I think, is that true? Is that true? If you haven't thought that for a while, maybe you should. Because when you do and you begin to ponder about it and think about it, that you begin to question it, then automatically it triggers in you because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus that you will think, no, I'm not going to go down that road where I have to prove that God is real. I know God is real. Then that's where faith kicks back in. Amen. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Faith is the evidence of, of things hoped for, and it's the substance. It's the substance of things hoped for, and it's evidence of things not yet seen. Hebrews eleven one. If if faith is that that motivates us and makes us do new things, we ought to reevaluate our faith sometimes because we might be basing it on just what we've been experiencing, and God is so much more than what we have already experienced. Can I say that again? God is so much more than what you've already experienced. If you think you have arrived in God, you haven't even started yet. I don't care if you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. I don't care if you've prophesied. I don't care what gifts of the Spirit you have or how much fruit you have in your life. If you think you've obtained all of God, you are fouled up. Amen, because we need to believe that there's a whole lot more to God than what I can possess in this little earthly temple. There's a whole much more to my God than I can experience in my mind. And the Bible talks about that, you know, that he's beyond what we can even pass or, or find out. He's beyond that. He can do in you exceedingly abundantly so much more than you can ask or think. He's so much bigger than you are. So God is saying to us today through Paul, through this teaching, that it doesn't matter what you've experienced so far. It's where are you going? I think it's the biggest problem with the Corinthian church is they felt like they had arrived. And I don't want Bethesda church, the, the people of Bethesda church, to ever feel like you've arrived. Just because you went downtown and done one outreach three years ago doesn't mean the kingdom of God has been displayed to our community. Just because you helped with the VBS back uh, 10 or 15 years ago doesn't mean that our whole community knows about Jesus. Is that true or not? It's absolute truth. Because we feel like, well, we've done that before. I've already experienced that. That's over. God's a lot bigger than that. He wants us to do it exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can even ask or think. He wants us to go farther than we've ever gone before. And as a body of Christ, we are to do the exploits of God. If you have not seen any miracles in your family, then apparently you ain't been seeking any miracles. Amen or oh me? Does it not say he'll do exceedingly or abundantly above that which you ask or think? If you haven't saw any miracles, you've not been asking for any miracles. If anyone asks anything, believing in my name, in my name, they will see demons cast out. They will see miracles. And today, how, how much have we been believing as a, as a body of believers for miracles? I'm glad to see Rose raised her hand a minute ago because she saw her husband laying on that deathbed in the hospital and wondering what's going to happen and laying there and praying and having the church to pray and coming up and saying, I need a prayer cloth to take to my baby because the doctor said it wasn't going to work out okay. But I believe in God. 
What are you seeking? Where are you going? And what are you looking for? I believe God can do so much more than what we've experienced. I, I believe that we haven't experienced, it, it ain't been a, a glimpse of what God is able to do in our community. Through us, if we'll believe. When was the last time that you invited a new believer, a new uh, baby Christian from our church into your home and had them to sit down at your table and eat a meal? When was the last time? So that you could help them and help them discover their faith and, and talk about it, some experiences that you've been through so that they don't have to live through the pain that you've lived through. When's the last time you invited somebody, a new Christian, from our church to your house to eat a meal? It's what Acts talks about. We talk about we want the book of Acts. I would like the book of Acts to be alive in my home, in my church, in my community of believers. But if we don't act like they act in Acts, we're not going to see what they saw in Acts. And if you don't invite anybody over for dinner, you're not going to see what happened in Acts. And if you don't go up to pray at the temple like Peter and John was, you're not going to see that sick man laying on the steps that couldn't do nothing. He was blind, begging. And if you don't ever go to the temple to pray, you're not going to see that guy sitting there with his cup hoping he's going to get through the day. I thank God for my mom that stops by the Kentucky Heights campus on a daily basis when she goes to work and she sits there in that parking lot and she cries and prays to God that he will move in our community, that he will move through our church and she cries and wails and hopes and seeks that God would move in our midst and what do we do? If it wasn't for the prayer warriors, we wouldn't be doing anything. I believe a God is a God of miracles. I believe our God is a God of miracles. This past week, I've been, I, I just sense that, that we serve a God of miracles. There's a philosophy of people in the earth today. They're called cessationalists. You know what cessationalists believe? That God died when the last apostle died. They believe that God cannot do anything today in the miracle form because the apostle died. And they read this same book that you and I read. How in the world can you read this book and have God to save your soul by nothing you did and believe that it ain't possible for him to do a miracle? It hurts my heart to think that there's believers out there today that preach that type of message. It hurts my heart because God is bigger than that. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than our church. And he's bigger than Bethesda. Whenever I see other churches posting stuff on Facebook or going out in the community and doing things, I don't get jealous. I'm not envious. I don't back up and say, whoa, I, don't, I hope they fail. Whenever they try to do it, I'm praying that the kingdom of God advances in our community. Yeah. If ever church was full, I would be happy. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So as I say this, Paul's preaching back to the Corinthian church. There's these different type of people. There's wise people in the church, too. There's some smart people. This is a big problem for me. It really is. Whenever I get around educated people, I feel inferior. If I get around somebody that's got a, a college education, or maybe they got their doctorate, or their master's, or their bachelor's, or even an associate, they're beyond me. They've, they're smarter than I am. Anybody ever felt like that when you're around somebody really smart? Feel inferior to them? Paul's talking about in this scripture that we read that there were people in the church because they had education felt like they were superior to other people. And I can tell you today that God will use a dumb hillbilly from eastern Kentucky that graduated from Lewis County High School that 
we don't rank real high on the charts. Amen. Our school system's not like the best school system that all the people are like, oh, man, i got to get my kid over in Lewis County. That's the best school ever. It don't happen that way. We're barely struggling to get by as a school board right now. That's the school I graduated from. But what God tells me through this scripture is it doesn't matter how many degrees they got. If they don't believe his word and if they don't believe in him, what they say doesn't matter. I will not let an educated person talk me down about what I believe in. Amen? I won't let a scientist that believes his wrong theory you know what theory is, don't you? It's what I think. It ain't based on fact. It's what I think. And I know according to that book, we don't go on what we think. And if somebody tells me, well, the theory of whatever says that this is the way it is, I'm like, that's a theory. <laughs> Just That's what you think. I'm not going to be talked down on what I believe according to somebody else's theory what they think if it doesn't say it in here I don't believe it it's as simple as that if it doesn't say it in this word I don't believe it you can come up with all the theories you want but if it doesn't say it in here I don't believe it and if you will believe this word and have faith in this word and trust in this word because this word is God go read John 1 John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. This is the Word of God. So I won't be talked down by a scientist on whether I should believe one thing or another. It's what does this say? And if I have faith in this, then I can rest assured that this is my stability. This is what I can bank on, that this is truth. So many people get mixed up because they're scared because somebody else is smarter than them. I don't worry if they're smarter than me or not. What does this say? And if I always go back to this, I'm not going to be proven wrong because God will not be proven wrong. This book has been around for thousands of years and there has been people that was burned at the stake for this book. They burnt these books in England. By the piles, people would print them and try to get them out to the community so people could read the word of God. And the kings and the princes would go around and get those books and throw them into a fire and burn them because they don't want the word of God to be out there. They want to come up with their own reasoning, their own methods, their own ways and say that this is truth where this is the truth. I'm preaching the truth whether we like it or not. Because it's not about us anybody, it's about the word of God. And Paul was telling those people, don't bow down to the smart people in your congregation and think they have a whole different perspective on life and their philosophies more, mean more than the word of God because it does not. I saw it happen where some high-fluting, high-rolling person comes into a church and get saved and thinks in two months later that they can tell the pastor what to believe because they got their own little way of thinking. Not going to happen here. Am I saying I know everything? I don't know anything. That's what I'll tell you. I don't know. I don't know anything. But I know one thing, and that's all I need to know, is this is right here is the truth. And as a pastor, if I will always go back to no matter what anybody says or comes up with in their own little twinkling of their own little way of thinking, it's this that is the truth. And I will not be compromised on this. I will not back up from this. The word of God is truth. And because you're smarter than me, don't mean you're going to talk me down and make me feel dumb. Because I believe that. The word of God says that it will add things to my life if I will trust and believe in this. Bible talks about that he will engraft the word of God in your heart when you become saved. That he will cause all things to come to remembrance. I can remember, I can hear voices in my head right now of Kermit Richmond preaching the messages through that he preached 
throughout the time when I was a teenager when I wasn't even listening. I know what it's like to be a teenager. Don't think I ain't been there, honey, because I have. Come to church, hear the preacher preach. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll believe that someday. Maybe. Amen? Old-timers, any old-timers in the house? I've, I've heard a lot of preaching in my life. And experienced a lot of the gospel and saw it happen and saw and the reason that I was formed and, and, and made that way was so that I could remember those things and everything is not an accident to God. If he set you underneath of a sermon to listen to some truth being preached, there was an intent with it and God knows your future better than you do in some way, some form, that word that was prophesied or proclaimed in your life will come to pass because there ain't no word of God that will go out and return voids what the scripture says. It will not return void. So if Carmen Richmond was preaching when I was 12 years old and I was too hard-headed to understand, it doesn't mean that God didn't have a, a, a place for it in my life. I remember him talking about it. One of the things that I remember often that uh, Carmen would say during his sermons, because you know how it is. If you're around here long enough, you'll hear all my stories over and over and again two or three times. Anybody get sick of Pastor Ben's stories? It's like, I've heard that three or four times already. Well, there's new people in the room. They haven't. Sorry. I remember Kermit Richmond saying often, Ernie, that his dad was a preacher. And he stood behind a pulpit. And he was preaching. And he'd done it throughout his life. And stayed consistent and stayed with the word of God. And one time he got up behind the pulpit, began to read, began to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and had a heart attack and instantly fell over dead. Right in church. Wouldn't that be awesome? How would you like for a preacher to die standing behind the pulpit preaching the word of God? What better way to go? I don't look at it with sorrow. I look at it as he was preaching the gospel message and instantly the Bible says he was changed in the twinkling of an eye. He went from this earth to the heaven to be with his Lord and Savior forever, Jesus Christ. Whenever it, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? That whenever I leave and my last breath here is going to be my first breath in heaven. Amen? It's where I'm going to be changed. I'm going to take on this glorious uh, body that the Bible talks about and this corruption will take on incorruptible and I won't be able to be moved or manipulated because I will be changed in that instant. What better way to do it than standing behind a pulpit preaching a mess message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know that my heart will beat one more tick, but if it's the last tick I'm, I, my heart beats, I hope it's when I'm preaching a gospel message. And if it would happen in the next 15 seconds, don't feel sorry for Pastor Ben. Don't you weep. Don't you mourn because God did something great. That a gospel message was going out in the last breath of a human. I think it's awesome. So Paul's telling them, don't worry about people smarter than you. Just keep preaching those foolish things that people think, well, that sounds so dumb. Because it really does. The gospel sounds dumb. That's what the, that's in, in today's English, that's what it's saying. It's hard to believe. I know people of our church right now that's witnessing to people in our community. And one of them is a, a person that really needs Jesus. And I, I think they're searching. I think their heart is looking for something more in this life than what they're currently experiencing. And there's somebody in our congregation that's going to them on a weekly basis and talking to them about Jesus Christ and what he's done in their life. There's nothing better than the work of an evangelist. That's what scripture says. How beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of Jesus. Preaching is not just done up here. It's done out there whenever you're out on the street corner and talking to somebody and maybe you're witnessing somebody. That's preaching just as much as this is preaching. And it says that your feet's beautiful. Would have everybody take their shoes off and on each other's toes. Some people have a feet fetish. They're scared of feet. Anybody like that? Mom don't like feet. Have a foot washing ceremony and have a church will clear out. <laughs> Some people don't like feet. I don't deal well with toe jam. You know what I'm saying? It's like, ew. I would tell the story about Mary biting my toenails sometime, but somebody will get grossed out. 
I said it, didn't I? Whoops. I dared her, she did. Don't dare marry. I'll say that. <laughs> she don't have a foot fetish at all. Moving on, I got to move on. Leslie's like, don't talk about that during the sermon. That this is getting recorded. It's going to be on the on the on the internet. Wow. But as that person is going and witnessing to this other person, for the past three months, it's being said. The person's told the person who comes to our church gets witnessing. The person he's witnessing to has said, I have to see a miracle. I have to see a miracle. I'm not going to believe until I see a miracle. And there's some people that believe because they see a miracle. The Bible talks about them. Read, about, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see if there isn't people that sees Jesus do miracles and they believe because of those miracles. They absolutely do. And part of me wants to say that this way. I didn't get no miracle when I got saved. There was no miracle for Ben to see, to know for sure that God was real. I had to hit my lowest low. I had to hit a part of my life, Albie, where I was traveling and drinking and running and scorping and doing all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons. I had to hit the bottom of my life to see that there has to be more than this. God didn't give me a miracle to see salvation. Has he done miracles in my life? Absolutely. I drowned in water and was raised from the dead. That's a miracle. It took me five years after that to believe in Jesus. That's sad. I was too dumb to even know it was a miracle. I was like, well, if Mary, she's going to breathe in me. It was her body, but it was God's breath. Maybe the reason she was biting my toenails is because she was willing to do mouth to mouth to her nephew to see life come back into him. It took me five years to realize that God was the one that saved me. We all need an experience in our life. And I don't know where you're at in the stages of your life, whether it's you're seeking for God, or maybe you're just wondering, might he be real, or could he be real? Is there a reason for God? Is, is, is the philosophy I've always had, is it something that I, I need for me? I don't know where you're at in your stage of life. I don't know what you're at at that point. And a part of me, Ernie, wants to say to that young man that's being witnessed to, to say, you don't deserve a miracle to know for sure that God is real. You need to do it like I did it. Amen? There's parts of me that wants everybody to experience everything just like I did. But there's something on the inside of me that says, God is bigger than my experiences. And if there's some young man out there in our community that needs a miracle to know for sure that God is real, you know what I need to be praying for? Not for that young man to be experiencing the same thing I'm experiencing. I need to pray that a miracle will happen if that's what it takes to win him to Christ. So a body of believers, if I could get us as a church to begin to pray and call out on God to provide a miracle for that young man so that he would know for sure that Jesus Christ is real. If that's what it takes to get him into heaven, it's worth it for me to give up on my philosophy of thinking that everybody's got to experience what I experience and say, it's okay, God, if you want to give him a miracle to get him to heaven, go ahead and give him a miracle. You don't have to do it like you did for me. thank God that people are witnessing to people in our community. And I pray ever how they come to Jesus, that they'll come the way God wants them to, not the way I want them to. That's why I thank God for Bethesda. We're a church where people can come in. You can be here today and doubt in every word I say and think that I'm a fool. I'm okay with that. At least you're a church hearing about it. 
You may be halfway there and just saying, okay, I've listened to you for a, a month or two months or three months or four months now, Pastor, and, and I'm starting to halfway buy into a little bit of what you're saying, and I'm not there yet, but I'm on a journey of getting there, and I'm okay with that. You may be to the point of where you've done all the evaluation you need to do in the last few days that you've been praying and laying in your bed at night and seeking God and saying, God, I need to know this is what you want me to do. You may be at the point right now that you're within two minutes of being born again. And I'm happy about that. everything I talk about it, I want it to revolve back to the point where the people come to know Jesus. And if everything we do as a church goes back to say, I want God to be represented well in Lewis and Greenup County, then I'm okay with that. I had a person sitting in my house this week that said, Pastor, you need to quit saying that uh, God's got a dream for Lewis County because I live in Greenup County. God's bigger than we are. Won't you stand? Don't worry about how smart people think about you. Don't worry about what rich people think about you. Don't worry about having all the answers and all the things of life put together and your life is perfection because none of that matters. All that matters is the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you can do absolutely nothing and all you've got to do is humble yourself and say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't know. But I do know one thing that I can feel you drawing me. I don't know today if there's people in the room. I'm sure there are uh, some people in the room today that's needing a miracle. And you needed a message today to hear about miracles so that you could believe again in miracles from heaven. People in the room today that's probably doubting every word I'm saying. But I truly believe that you're here for a purpose and a reason. And God has you here so that you can hear because someday you're going to need this word. There's others that's contemplating whether to buy into this Christian thing and, and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and they're not really comfortable doing that yet. But they're on a journey of getting there. I'm okay with that. And then there's those of you, maybe for the past just a short little bit, God's been dealing with you and you can feel like there's something behind you and it feels like a conscience that's talking to you and saying there's more to life than what you've been experiencing. The Bible says that it's the still small voice of God and that his voice will call you. He will call you. And that still small voice has been speaking to you and saying you need to give in and allow God to do some great things in your life. You need to accept his son as your savior. And just believe that the Bible is true. That the Word of God can apply in your life. And that your sins need to be blotted out. So that you can go to heaven someday. When everybody here, just bow your head and close your eyes. And it comes down to this today, during this message, during this season of our life. During this service. It all comes down to this point. Everything that's been said so far culminating right now in this moment everybody here bow your head and close your eyes nobody looking around I want to ask you is there anybody here that says Pastor Ben I've been sensing that still small voice and I feel like God is speaking to me and I need to be saved I need to give my life to Jesus and today's the day that I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to buy in that God is going to save me today's my day want to raise my hand and say God's been speaking to me and I need to give in today is there anybody here that will raise your hand and say that one any more 
somebody else. I feel like there's somebody here that needs to raise your hand other than the one that already is. You can put your hand down. Anybody here? There's another one. Anybody here that will raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. You're talking to me and I can sense God calling me today. I need to live for Jesus because He's calling me. Is anybody else? explain something just really quick in my salvation moment in my life when I attended a church service I drove to Raceland, Kentucky to go to a church service too because I promised God when I went there I said God today's the day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go forward and I'm going to give my life to you today's the day I'm going to give in God it's hard to live in how I'm living and today I'm giving in and I drove up to that church service I remember that pastor gave an altar call and he asked for people to come down to the front and pray and ask God into their heart and I was afraid to go because there was 300 people standing around and I remember that fear and that anxiety of not, not willing to step out and walk down that aisle Albert. and I stood there and after, after that pastor nobody come forward nobody got saved that evening there to church and he said is there, everybody bow your head close your eyes he said is there anybody there today that would just be willing to raise their hand and say God is working on me that God is working on me and you want your pastor to pray for you and he said that and everybody bowed their head and closed their eyes and I remember that fear in my heart and I remember that instance of having enough faith just to say I'm going to slip up my hand I want that pastor up there to pray for me because I know what he's saying was true. And I slipped my hand up there. And I was standing on the back row and, and he dismissed church and we drove drove off. I got my truck and heading back down the road and I was about to Greenham County, or Greenham, the city of Greenham. And whenever I got to the city of Greenham, my heart started beating. It was weighing on me so heavy. God was working on me salvation moment experience for me and I remember telling him Trish I said God if you'll let somebody be at that church I'll turn around and go back and I turned around and I got I got my I turned my truck around and took off back for racing when I pulled in that parking lot there was cars outside the building and I remember the joy in my heart because God allowed somebody to stay there walked through the door later on Pastor Wells told me he said you scared me to death I had a, a black leather coat on 
dark, I dressed black cowboy boots. He said, I didn't know if you was going to shoot us or what. But I remember walking up to Pastor Wells and I said, Pastor, I need to be saved. And those teenagers were there deciding where they was going to go eat. That's the only ones there was teenagers. They were deciding where they were going to go eat. Pastor Wells told them, said, go up there and pray with that young man. I can take you to the spot in that church where I knelt on my knees and prayed. But I think there was a philosophy behind that where I messed up. I thought I had to be saved at church. I really did, Mary. I believed all my life that I had to go to church to be saved. Now, looking back, I know that's not true. I believe the moment I turned my truck around and headed back that way, I was just as saved as I was when I was kneeling at that altar. I believe when I got my truck to go to church that night because I hadn't been in years, I believe God had already got me on that journey of salvation. I'd already accepted the fact that I needed Him in my life. So I'm telling you today, whether you raised your hand here today or not, salvation can happen in your home. It can happen on your lawnmower. I've heard stories of where people was absolutely drunk out of their mind and God convicted them and they were saved in an instant even though they were drunk. God can save you wherever you're at. It doesn't matter. So I just want to give you the approval to say it's okay. You don't have to get saved here. I'm just asking you to get saved. And it's as simple as this prayer right here we'll pray here in just a minute for the two people that raised their hand. I want you to just close your eyes. Everybody here, just close your eyes. Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody here, just repeat it so that we all know. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you, forgive me of my sins, of my faults, of my failures. My past is gone. I need a new future. I need a bright future. And you can give it to me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's as simple as that. You don't have to say all those words. There's no special word you have to say other than the fact that I'm sorry for sinning. Jesus, I accept your blood to cover those sins. And I believe that you're the risen son of Jesus of Christ. That you're God's son. And you took my place on that cross. You'll be saved as anybody else in the room.